You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little blood sucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are the Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John T. Whoever you are out there in the wide world, thank you so much for lending your ears. Um, this week, I had the good fortune of speaking with none other than Eva Angvert. Shit, That's a strange surname. I think I said it wrong, but she's Swedish and so it's a European surname and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Eva Angvert. 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 Eva Angvert. That sounds better if I put an accent on it. <laughs> anyway, I had the good fortune of speaking with Eva. Now, I met Eva and she's one of those people that I just instantly uh, connected with and and was drawn to. And she sort of called me out uh, to some degree. I thought I was being quite present in the conversation that we're having. And she sort of just went, she just sort of said, stop, just stop and just be right here. And I, and I caught me, I was like, I am right here. And then I was like, well, no, I'm not right here. And I was sort of, you know, so I had that moment. I was like, wow, this, 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 this person in front of me is really connected and switched on. And, um, and so anyway, we had a long chat and then and I asked if she would like to come on the horse's mouth and she said, yes. So uh, I'm, I was stoked. So a uh, little bit about Eva. She's from Sweden, has spent most of her life living in, um, in san francisco and just happens to be out here with some work stuff at the moment so i just feel very fortuitous to have um to have met eva and bumped into her and and for her to come on the horse's mouth she um she has over 30 years experience in helping others transform their lives that's a direct rip off of, of, of her <laughs> website um she's got a ba degree in psycho um psychosocial communication and is certified as an integral coach uh she's a semantic experiencing practitioner sep um and 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 this is a particular type of uh practice that deals with trauma uh and trauma that's locked in the body so yeah um eva thank you so much for coming over and having a chat with me i don't want to say too much more because i don't want to wreck the journey and the conversation that we had by uh loading it up too much but i really really enjoyed talking with eva and uh yeah eva if you're out there listening i, I really do appreciate you coming over here and uh yeah anyway um what else i've been driving around a lot and i've been noticing these stickers um they're they're sort of red and blue and i i, I noticed them and um and uh, i was like i got closer to one and i was like that's that same sticker you know i see things like colors and stuff and i'm like that's that sticker what does that sticker say and it was had some sort of like weird tentacle things and it was like keep tazzy wild i was like oh well that's a there's a lady driving the car i was like it's a nice feminist and then i you know i'd seen this sticker and i kept seeing it everywhere and i was like I didn't know everybody was so passionate about pubic hair. Um, this joke's falling flat as I say it. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people out there rolling their eyes. Uh, how immature are you, John Teague? Keep Tazzy Wild. Keep Tazzy Wild is a sticker, no doubt, from some surf company saying, keep Tazzy Wild. 
and and it's got a deeper meaning than than it doesn't mean you know it's not a people passionate about pubic hair even though that's what i think of because i'm so fucking childish every time i see the sticker uh but i it got me thinking the other day and i was watching it uh, reading a news article and then um and there was, i don't know what community it was it was a, a, a coastal community in in australia that um the fishermen and the people were up in arms because there was no longer a physical place to buy parking tickets for the boat ramp and everyone had got parking fines it was now pushed into an app scenario and i just was like they're forcing us into our phones if you can't physically go to the parking meter and pay for it um it's just that's disgusting it just and and then that draws me back to keep tazzy wild you know, it's just like the further we get away from wild earth, you know, we're not that removed from being so connected with nature and each other and, and, and having a real experience. And then yet we're just being pushed away from it. And so many people are just happy to go there, just get away from that and go into tech. And look, you might love tech and you might be like, shut the fuck up. But I, I, I definitely think that we are natural beings and, and the more that we become insular and in tech world and drive away from and into apps and no money, it's just, it's the wrong direction. I know when we're banging on about it and you, you know, I'm, I'm happy to wear it. You want to say, shut the fuck up. That's the way it's going. You know, I'm happy for that discussion. If you ever see me in the car park, it's about the only other place that I get to hang at winky car park. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't be that hard to kill. Anyway, um, look, I'll stop waffling on. If that makes any sense, doesn't really matter, does it? Because it's going to be what it's going to be. I hope you enjoy my chat with Eva. I, I love, I love doing this. I love, I love, I love it. So I hope you enjoy it too. And I, uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Wow. Adios. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. Home is California. Yeah. Outside San Francisco. Yeah. I live in one of these 55 plus communities with all the older people. Yeah. So uh, I have lived there since 2017. Then I lived in a little suburb outside San Francisco for 14 years. And then I lived in the city of San Francisco for 20. Wow. So how many, how much altogether in San Francisco? So I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying uh, that's a long, you would have seen a lot of change in San Francisco. Too much change. I really liked it when I lived there. I came to San Francisco in 83. It was great. Was that after the milk era? Yeah. Yeah, that was, when was milk? Oh God! That was that was. In That's the, embarrassing because I don't know the that history was 60s, that well. Wasn't it? Yeah, sixties, seventies. Yeah, yeah. Harvey Milk. Harvey Milk. I remember. I don't remember what when it happened, yeah. but hearing about him. Um, okay, going back further than that, what about when you were? Um, where were you born? When I was born, yes, southern Sweden, in something called Engelholm. Sounds beautiful. Uh huh. Can you try to pronounce it? Engelholm. 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 Pretty good. Engelholm. Yeah. Engelholm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I lived there. We moved around a little. My mom divorced, you know, when I was eight. I got one of those stories. And then I ended up on an island. Hold on. So you're in Switzerland, moving Sweden. around Sweden. You're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly got 
People say, where are you from? And I say, Sweden. Oh, how do you, don't you love those Alps? <laughs> that red flag, I love it. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So oh you were God. almost there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I get very confused because I have a friend who's from Sweden, Henrik, and but uh -huh. he lives in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. So you're all, you, you got off the hook. Thank you're, you. Okay, yeah, you're great. Okay. So in Sweden. Uh huh. Yeah. And did you ever go? With, um. So how old when you when you left? Twenty five. Oh, so you yeah. were in, the island was in Sweden. Yeah. So I lived there for well from sixteen to twenty five, mm. and then I went to a long U turn by Butte, Montana, and then back down to San Francisco. Okay, let's back that up. So you were eight when you went to the island? No, 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 no. When my mom divorced. Okay. Yeah. And tell me about life on the island. You know, it's kind of funny because it's an old, like, Viking story, historic island with a wall around a little city. And people who really study history is just fascinated by the island. And I would sit on the wall and have a beer and think, what's the big deal? Because you grow up in those kind of historical places, and it's not that historic to you, right. you know? Yeah, it's just where, you, where yeah. you're at, and you'd rather be somewhere else. Basically. Yeah. You know, so I was there for, what, nine years, something? That was when, you know, my good drinking started. Really? Do you remember? So, yeah, okay, you say you're good drinking. Do you remember your first drink? I remember I was 13. Yeah. That's before I lived on the island. A girlfriend of mine told me to try this red wine, which I never liked. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just, I remember it because I was so paranoid and so tense and so whatever. You know what people think of you. I was just wrong. I Ill, just felt Ill wrong. Days, yeah. And uh, when I had that glass, it was like, Phew. if there's anything I miss with alcohol, it's that lovely feeling of bucket. Oh, yeah. That, if I could just stick my head in a wall and just not feel anything, that would be great. Until I got into somatics. I mean, that has been the one. Okay, I want to drive through and get there. but Oh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's fine. Um, I, I totally relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I that, like on a Monday morning still drinking, <laughs> all those fucking wankers going to work. Yeah. And who gives a fuck? Yeah. I remember one time I was in that mode, it must have been Monday morning, and my dad rang and he was like, you got to get your shit together. And I remember I threw the phone <laughs> at a brick wall and watched <laughs> it smash. And I felt so empowered in my <laughs> through my drunken haze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... I remember then there was might have been an hour later I was like sifting through all the rubble looking for the SIM card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what a wanker. Oh, I used to work. I, I had a neighbor, as you know, he was a soldier in a beautiful, handsome, whatever suit and uniform they have. And he would come in at seven o'clock in the morning and wake us up, me and my girlfriend. And I, without even looking at him, I used to open the freezer and grab that, you know, half gallon Smirnoff with a handle. And then just drink until I couldn't swallow anymore. And I would just stand there and, and now, and then I would look at him and he was like, you're disgusting. I said, I know. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, yeah. What did he want? Yeah, he was a neighbor, and I come and wake him up three o'clock in the morning to party. Ah, so he was just going to get back at us by waking us up at seven when get he it. went to work. Got it, got it. <laughs> oh my god. Well, he later turned into my husband. So. Oh know. well, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice story. He and he would get up and party with you. Oh yes. Yeah, he was good at it. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. I stopped drinking because of him. Because he was better at it than you? He was better at it than me, but he had a weak heart. So they said he had five angioplasty procedures, and they told him, if you pick up again, you're going to die. So I was the loyal wife. I wasn't having a problem. It was him. Right. So you couldn't recognize your own, but you did it to support him. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's really nice. That was my identity, to keep Bob alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And did he stop for good? He stopped for 30, so that was 1990. He stopped, and then he, he passed, you know, 2022. So uh, he was sober. So I can't do the math on that. 30, 33 years. 30, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got married drunk. <laughs> <laughs> then we sobered up. Then we had a daughter. And we had to turn off her life support due to an operation. And then we oh had two God. more. My five, five, ten first years of sobriety was just kind of a ten-point earthquake. Oh, far out. Uh-huh. So, uh, the first, this is, sorry, this is 1990. You got sober in 1990 as well. 90. 1990. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 30. January 15th, 1990. And the first 10 years sounded like hell. Yeah. The first five was just dead babies and babies who didn't breed and babies with health problems. And so it was just this kind of, you know, you're just spinning, kind of surviving. Then it calmed down a little bit. And then, you know, it's about kids and school. And then you start tweaking with your own stuff and old memories come up. And you know how it is. Yeah. 10, 11 year mark, the pictures are coming up from old abuse and, oh, you remember uncle so-and-so? Ouch. Yeah, I remember that. You know? So it's all that part. So I had 16 years of sobriety before I even got introduced to somatics. So like mad woman with two little children. And so um, how... No, I want to just stay here for a second or two. Now, you're obviously working a program, Mm -hmm. um, but still feeling uh, like something was missing. Back then, yes. Yeah. Oh, I laid on the floor. I had a two and a three-year-old, and then panic attacks used to come. I used to kind of learn how to catch them. So I would put my kids in one of those chairs, you know, that lock them in. So I would put oh, yeah, 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 yeah. one chair each and I put on Barney, gave them a little bottle of milk and I would crawl up in fetal position on the floor with a towel in my mouth and just scream until it, you know, and they turn around, mommy, okay? Mommy, just have a little, little tummy ache. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two, three times a day. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And what were you thinking it was at that point? Oh, I went to therapy, you know, talk yeah. talk therapy, and we talked about all the abuse and all the stuff and didn't make me even sit still on the couch. 
I was just tweaking. And so then you were so ill at ease. Were you searching for a solution or are you going to be happy to stay? No, I was I was deadly afraid of hurting the kids, you know, or but mentally? No, physically. physically. I didn't I didn't hit them or anything, but I was volatile. So there was no I mean it was scary for a little one year old and two year old to be around a person that screams or explodes or you know. I remember picking my uh my oldest Anna, I picked her up, she was three years old, it was something she didn't do. So I picked her up and put her in bed. Sit down. And I had this vision that she broke her neck. Oof. And I was just, I just froze and then down on the floor with another panic attack and then into the therapist's office. Why haven't you put me on medication? Half of AA is on medication. What's wrong? You know, mm. just screaming. I know, I think I'm going to kill my children. Oh, I was just out of it. But she said one thing, you know, that if I put you on medication, I'll give you an umbrella. You won't feel the rain, but you won't feel the sunshine either. So I was thinking for a minute. And so, and, um, so when I close my umbrella, I still can't deal with the weather. And she's like, nope. So there was at that turning point when I have to decide, you know, should I go on medication or should I learn to deal with the weather? So if you went on the medication, uh, let's just say, mm-hmm. and um, and I believe the medication, look, I, I, I see it abused. Mm-hmm. And I know people who have been on it mm-hmm. for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 fortunately, I've never been on it. And mm-hmm. like uh, I had a... Psychiatrist, and year twelve suggests that maybe mm-hmm. it was right, and my mum was like, "No, he got himself in this mess. He can get himself out." So, but I've always been. So, my point is, is I always thought it was temporary. It's supposed to be, and I'm stumped by the, why do I know people who have been on it for f- fifteen years? You know, it's like I, I I never say anything, but my mind goes, "What the fuck is the medical system doing?" Well, that's a whole other interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you didn't take a lot take of profit the medi- and medication. Yes. No, I'm aware I'm a diabetic. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, can I I'll sidetrack right now really quickly? Uh-huh. What's on, I, I believe that if Big Pharma or whatever it is makes their most amount of money, I believe, is from um, insulin. And if my pancreas is not dead, it's dormant. Mm-hmm. If it was dead, they would take it out. It's still in there. Mm-hmm. You're jabbing yourself with insulin four times a day, I do. And um, why would the pancreas ever wake up when you're supplementing something that it needs? Nor, and I'm aware that it, uh, maybe if I, you know, you didn't, you could die. But in an environment where it doesn't need to wake up, why would it? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, anyone who's in the medical field probably rolling their eyes at me right now. But I, I, I do think that if there was any kind of like lean towards a cure on the biggest selling drug in the market, the mafia would say, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Hmm. Anyway, 
Back to you. The mafia is more honest than the big pharma. I believe. Yeah, of course. They know they're killing people. <laughs> Making money on it. Yeah. yeah. Did you watch Dope Sick? Second time I've talked about it. In a little, but yeah. Dope Sick? No. I watched um, Take Your Pill on Netflix. And I watched, you know, the Zanuck thing. And I watched... Sorry, keep going. okay (laughs) yeah so netflix has has a couple of good documentaries yeah well this one's a series and it's on the oxycontin pandemic oh yeah and And i think the sacklers are getting away they have a 670 something billion dollar lawsuit on them but it seems they're looking for protection they're slippery yeah. Okay. Um, digress. Let's go back to the umbrella. <laughs> okay. The umbrella. Yeah. So I had to learn. That's kind of where I come from. You know, I just have to work through it. My husband being the soldier, you know, you, you, know, you just pull up your bootstraps and you work through it. But, um, and I would, might have been a better mom on medication. I don't know. Maybe I would have been calmer. I almost think that if I knew that I could get drunk on Sunday, I would be a better mom <laughs> because I knew there was going to be an out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're mm-hmm. tense and scared and <gasps> for six days and then you can say, mm. then you can kind of live with it, but there is no way out. When your body is so tense and you got a million mosquitoes under your skin, you're ready to throw up at every moment, and it feels like someone is struggling, you know, strangling, strangling you. You got a stomach, you know, full of knots, pressure in the chest. You know, all those physical stuff. I had no idea what it was. And then you go to talk therapy, and you say, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a joke. It was a real joke. So you got no mileage out of sitting on the couch. I personally did not know. And the steps worked to a certain degree. But I mean, I was on my knees saying, please, God, you know, help me not hurt my children. I would get up and come in the kitchen and whose socks are these? You know, know, it it would just come out of me. I had no control. Yeah, I get it. So it was just it was crazy. I was scared of my own behavior and I I saw that it was hurting my kids, you know, and I I didn't know what to do. But I was a coach, a good one, happy clients, could behave for that long, and then I would go home and scream at my kids, scream at my husband. What, what sort of a coach were, were you? A life coach. You were a life coach. Oh, I had a training, and, you know, 2001, 2002, I took a coaching training for a whole year, and I was really good at it. Yeah. I've always been a bit confused about the, the, the role of a life coach. Uh-huh. And, you know, I delved into it a little bit about mm, around the time that I found it out with diabetes because I got pretty depressed and I was had a few friends who were in the, that field and I remember I was speaking to, I can't remember who, some, one of them put me on to someone that wasn't them. They were like, we're too close to do this. You uh-huh. need someone that, with a bit of space. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know. For me, it just I, I felt a little contrived or some, something mm-hmm. fell a little off. I couldn't quite mm-hmm. put my finger on it. I think it has a lot to do with who's the coaches. Yeah. I've had some coaches and they give you 20 pages of busy work and charge you $5,000 and, you know, for the next 5000 they teach you something else. It, it's been a little disappointing. 
And then the really good coaches, I guess I couldn't afford at the time. So Right. Well, what, how much are they? Oh, it's anything from, I don't know. I don't know, Tony Robbins. I don't know what he's Holy up to shit, right now. What he's charging, you know. Does he do private? I think he does. What is it? A million a year or something like that? Hundred, I don't know what it is. I shouldn't say a million. But uh, I know he's up there. Wow. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are people. And I think there is real value in coaching if the client really wants to change. Yeah, that has to, yes. It's not therapy, and you don't go there because, oh, I'm forced. Oh, You really have to have an internal motivation that you want to learn something new and you want to change your behavior. That I have never had, like, a well, corporate coach or, you know, anything like that. Like an, a coach that teaches me about business. or I, My coaches that I've had has just been... You know, a coach had to teach a coach to be a coach, basically. And then the somatic, when I got into the somatic, I have had practitioners that have taught me, you know, trainings and things. And and just what you're saying, it's the same as like wanting to stop drinking, really. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you've got to want to change. Yeah. And, you, and there you have the whole world barking. I was saying this to my mum this morning because we came up in conversation. But like, you know, before I got sober, I had a lot of people telling me I needed to get sober. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah. You know, but when you're ready to change, and that's the same yeah. as wanting, I suppose, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, we can be driven by you, you hit the bottom and you've got nothing left. That wasn't my bottom, but um, my bottom was pretty low. You know, I still had a place to live. I had a husband still, you know, but uh, it was pretty low. So you say it was more of a spiritual. For me, it was, and I always kind of thought, well, you know. Bankruptcy. I, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just one of those heavy drinkers. Maybe I'm not a real alcohol, you know. So yeah, I would, yeah, yeah, I, know. I would have that out. Maybe I was, maybe I could drink and Bob couldn't. He's the one with the problem. I, on the other hand, but then you know we got we I got pregnant, so I had Christina in September of 1990, and then. Um, so, okay, I understood now that I had to stay sober for her, right? And now I had a baby. And then she dies, you know. So December 1st, when we turned off her life support, it was like, well, now I couldn't drink because I would probably disappoint her, you know, being a, a true Swede with the shame, you know, in your blood. You can't disappoint people, including the dead ones. <laughs> is, is that greater than the Catholic shame? Well, the Catholics are guilty. They can do Hail Marys and say you get a couple of this, and then they go out and do the same thing again. Yeah. I was always jealous at that. Oh, shoot, I messed up, and then I just go and say, oh, please, you know, forgive me, and okay, you're forgiven. And yeah, yeah. Do, you Come know? back in a month, see yeah. where you go. Yeah. So the guilt is kind of like something you've done. Shame is something you are. Always. It's in the fiber. Yeah. You know, you feel it. For me, shame is like a big wet wool sweater. You just... Bleh. Huh. that's heavy. So we shame you into you have no value whatsoever. And then we just need to look at you with that look of disgust and you'll do anything. Starting at two. You know? <laughs> so, so when Christina died, it was just a sh- It was just like, I can't drink now. She might be up there looking at me. So that's basically what kept me sober for a long, because I wasn't going to believe in God. Look what he'd done to me. You know? 
complication. What was the, can I ask what the complication was? Yeah, she was she was uh, born with something called truncus, truncus arteriosus, or something meaning you only have three valves in your heart and you're supposed to have four. So you're so the way they die is that they're going to suffocate to death if they don't get the fourth chamber. Mm. So you have to go into the heart and build the fourth chamber. So, like they say, the surgery was a success, but the patient died. You know, she had a heart attack right after, and you know, and then we had to. And it's funny because people are like, I don't know if they're just numb from everything they've done. They they was gonna they changed the dressing on her. So, oh come, do you want to see your daughter's heart? And you know, you're kind of out of it at that time. Oh, okay, sure. Um, so they would take off the dressing. And she pointed at and your little thing that big as your thumb. Dun, dun, dun. And I was just like, you're not supposed to see your baby's heart. I mean, it, it's just not supposed to be like that. But you're so kind of in shock that, oh, okay. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's bizarre how people are, you know. But they're so numb, I think. Just... You, you could still see it right now, I'm sure. What? You, the, that visual would never leave. Oh, no, I have it now yeah, when I tell you. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't trigger me that much. I've done enough work on that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So through the couch, the, this trauma, the shame, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you... Find yourself now. How do you say that word? Somat- somatic. Somatic. Uh huh. And how did you first come across somatic? And what what is? Well, I was a coach, so I'm sitting oh. just reading out of coaches' websites, and uh, one website said "Waken the Tiger" was a book. So I thought, like, hmm, I like the coach, and she's recommending. So, and it, it's just amazing because I, when I read the book, I started the book, and it said. You're not a trauma victim. You're a trauma survivor. Just that alone just shifted. So Dr. Peter Levine is uh, the founder of Somatic Experiencing. And he wrote that book, Awakening the Tiger. And it was just like, you know, oh, I'm not a victim. It's kind of like, oh, I'm a survivor. Oh, it's kind of like you can do something about it. And then he was the founder of SE. So I, after reading the book, I told my husband, I have to take this training. Because I was already a coach, but I kind of felt like a fake because I was screaming at my kids and fighting with my husband. And then I could sit here and be mm-hmm. intellectual and, mm-hmm. you know, mm. spiritual. <laughs> yeah, uh, and as I know. I I've know, seen I many know. people I, like that. Including, yeah, so <laughs> oh I didn't want to be one of them. So, yeah. yeah. So I had one session with Andrea. She's so wonderful. And it was like I came up for air. It was the most bizarre thing that had happened. Five years of talk therapy, and I lived in San Francisco Bay Area. You have any kind of therapy there possibly is in the world. Rebirthing and screaming in fetal positions, and you can do anything in that area. And none of it had calmed me down. Then I had one of those sessions, and wow like suddenly i'm i'm here it was most bizarre it's like i've been swimming underwater for my whole life or whatever and now suddenly 
Yeah, it was. Pr- so, of course. So I'm biased, you know, of course. I think everybody in any recovery program needs somatic healing. You know, you see people have been in therapy for 15 years. You ask her, why? 15 years? Yeah, well, when we first met and you were talking to me and you said, hey, just just go in. And I can't remember exactly what you said. You were like, go in. And I was like, yeah, I'm going in. I'm in. And then you're like, yeah, now, now really drop in. And I was like, <laughs> I'm dropping in. And <laughs> and then I said something and you were like, oh, yeah, go on, deflect. Do what? You said, yeah, go on, deflect. Uh-huh. And I, I caught myself. I was like, well, I, I guess I wasn't intending to deflect, but that's exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was going from dropping in, I was actually going out and mm-hmm. getting cerebral again. And then I allowed myself to go further into that moment. And I, I had the realization of just how ungrounded that I was before that moment. Mm-hmm. And I know that makes sense to you, mm-hmm. but it, it was like, I suddenly was like, wow, I'm living up here and mm-hmm. there's all down here. Yep. Most people live up there. You know, and, and it's, it's kind of we live in Truman's world, you know. It, it's like we really think we work the 12 steps, we have a sponsor, we have sponsees, we get on our knees in the morning. We all that is great. I love the 12 steps. I sponsor it. It's all good. But it has nothing to do with the body. And in the beginning of the book, it says, what does it say? Mind and body. That's the last time you hear about the body. Then it's a spiritual program. You learn how to meditate. You learn how to sit with yourself. You can meditate for 20 years and not be body aware. Yeah, no, it's really funny because after um, we, we had the session the other day and mm-hmm. you said I'd like you to sit and just observe mm-hmm. and go in. And, I, you know, I've done a, a lot of meditating over the years. I've done the Vinpasana 10-day silent retreat. I've done, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm like, don't talk to me about meditating. <laughs> I know about meditating, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think I've ever sat and gone in mm-hmm. and connected to my body. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're se- it's been separate. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, like you said, you asked me before, uh, how have I been feeling? Mm-hmm. And I've been feeling quite good mm-hmm. um and and then you know i can deflect again and say well i have just been on holidays uh-huh you know and so that's always good too when you don't have to show up to work and do things that you uh-huh. don't want to do particularly or be somewhere for you know mm-hmm. so you could say well i'm in a good mood from that too but i do believe that the more i sit and push into my body and and even just for the body to acknowledge that I'm acknowledging the body. Mm-hmm. You know, like I go to the gym, I do a lot of training and stuff, mm-hmm. and I go, yeah, but it's a different acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And not to push into the body, but to actually... Did I tell you that little Michelangelo thing? Because I think in pictures. That's my biggest problem. Yeah, no, it's not a problem. I think that's how most people think, or a lot of people do. I uh-huh. do. So you heard Michelangelo, didn't I tell you that thing? Yeah, yeah, let's go again. Yeah, and that, what? Let's go again. Oh, (laughs) no, because when you explain to someone, what are we doing and this and that, and when I heard, you know, just when they asked Michelangelo how he could create such a beautiful statue, 
And he says that somewhat to the point that I didn't create it. God created it. I just removed what was not David. And Dr. Peter Levine says that when you have an overwhelming situation or a trauma or anything like that, we kind of, and we freeze. And if we keep on freezing for years, it kind of feels like an ice block. You're just kind of walking around with this ice between you and the world, this kind of protection, this structure that you have frozen in. And you can buff yourself up, you know, and you can be in Schwarzenegger or you can be whatever, but it's still a protection for that little person that's in there that might just be three. So what do you do? You go on that ice block with an ice pick or a blowtorch and you force people to re-expose themselves or, you know, do do all that. You might touch into that person in there and hurt them again. So what if we just put the ice block in the sun? Or if we just treat it with love and compassion and let it melt because then it will melt off what's not you so that you can come out and be you. We're not who we are because we keep on protecting ourselves from whatever. If it's imaginary, if it's old, whatever it is, very few of us can just be me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and because I have a couple of clients that it was just difficult to explain what does this really do. So through the session, we say, okay, right there. So we're melting a little bit of the ice and it crackles. There might be some tears once in a while because that's what happens when you put ice in the sunshine. You know, just to make the process more logical, like this is just old frostbites in your body that holds all this energy and all this pain that we haven't learned how to resolve. That's all we do, you know. All these emotions, we don't need to think about the emotions. We go under. Well, I feel sad. What are you feeling in your body that makes you say that you're sad? How do you know that's sad? You know, it's... Well, you'd say, I would say... Uh Uh-huh. Um, it's an intellectual triggering of a memory of something that, or a thought of someone who could be in a situation or, mm-hmm. and then, but most, of, I, I would say, I'm not sure where that lies in the body. It's a thought process yeah. Yeah. that then triggers. So it's a thought. But then I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I think that I I would still have trouble you know, like, you know the difference between when you're thinking about something and you're thinking and it makes you sad and then you have the, the moment when something just hits you in the guts. That's mm-hmm. two different things. It's two different sadnesses. What makes you sad? If you think about something and it makes you sad, where does that feeling of sadness come from? Well, here's the thing. When I was studying acting in New York, we mm-hmm. had to do these things called emotional preparations. Mm-hmm. And so say the scene that you were acting in required you to cry or Mm -hmm. be really happy or um you know come into the room and be in a certain mood Mm -hmm. that wasn't your normal mood Mm -hmm. they would teach you to take a piece of information in your life Mm -hmm. someone 
and then have, you know, like when you're driving to see someone and you have mm-hmm. the fantasy about seeing them and you're going there to tell them off or you're going there to, you haven't seen them in a long time, you can't wait to see them. Mm-hmm. And you make up some story and you suddenly you're angry at someone for something they haven't done. Uh-huh. That's an emotional preparation. Uh-huh. So you take a piece of information that's real, add a piece of information that's not real mm-hmm. and cook yourself with it. Uh-huh. So then when you come in to do the scene, your motor's running mm-hmm. and you can go either way. Mm-hmm. you know happy mad or sad what you know and so i would say the question that you asked me what what is a feeling or what is an emo- uh, a sadness? So when you say it's an intellectual trigger you say so it, so i can have an intellect okay so my husband died two years ago yeah so i can talk to you about it i have had i don't know how many sessions i've had about it so oh so c- that's a real that's real and that's that's you know so there's different levels. I see what you're saying here. Yeah. Well, you can think about something that has happened. Yeah. And then you can bring up the sadness. Yes. But the bringing up the sadness in my world is still somatic. It still starts in the body. If I think about something, oh my God, what happens if my daughter died? <gasps> oh, if yeah, that, you know, a, if yeah. I think of that, then I can bring myself to sad or yes. scared. But that's still in the body. You still have body sensations. Yes. That creates the emotion in my world. Yeah. So that's whatever, quote unquote, I do in my world. I think it starts in the body, but you can have a thought. And in a nanosecond, you get triggered. So you may say, well, I was thinking about this. And then, you know, I felt sad. Yeah, but it went so fast that the body got. (gasps) And then it goes via the vagus nerve up to your brain and boom, you're sad. That's a nanosecond. So, again, in my world, I believe. When you say you're, you mean the semantic. Yeah. Yeah. And in my understanding of how it works. Yeah. Is that the somatic sensations are at the bottom, and then you may have the emotions up there, and then you have the intellect and so on. So you have a thought, and you say, well, I had this thought, and it made me sad. Hmm, no, that's interesting. I can see it made you sad, but did it just go right through to the body, and the body said, ouch, and then it went with the vagus nerve back up to the brain and said, I'm sad? within a nanosecond or is it really possible to just be sad and have tears without any somatic sensation i think all all of the above oh okay do you think not do you think it's all bodily i think it starts in the body because if i sit here now and i can think of a situation Mm -hmm. and i think about it and i would say that that's me thinking about it with starting in the mind so think about it right now. Yeah. And then if you close your eyes and you right just drop into the body and pay attention to what are you noticing in your body right now? Any kind of body sensation. Yeah, my stomach. Uh-huh. And then just pay attention to that. What else are you noticing? Do I keep the thought that's making me sad or just no, now I'm totally with... let go of the thought. Okay, yeah, okay. Sorry. Just let go of the thought and drop right into your body. And do nothing. Don't hold on. Don't try. Just what's happening in your body now? In your stomach, like you said, or 
Well, I've now brought my attention to it, and it feels that it's um, there's more space there than what there was a second ago when I. Oh, interesting. And you're still sad. I've dropped the thought. Oh. <laughs> so, how would you explain what just happened? I thought of something that made me sad. I had a, a body response. I put my attention into the response where I felt it in my stomach. And by giving the attention to that feeling, um, suddenly my inner world around my stomach seemed to expand. Mm-hmm. And that tightness, that mm-hmm. weird feeling that I had, wasn't so, it dissipated some a bit. I felt more space around it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as that's how that's how that's that's how I can describe what maybe just happened. It's quite oh, cerebral. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, but that's perfect. So that's and I don't. I'm not going to argue if it happened first in your brain or in your stomach, but in and sometimes maybe it's either or the egg or the hen. Or who knows? You mm-hmm. know, the egg or the chicken. I was saying right, mm-hmm. <laughs> chicken or the eggs. <laughs> so it's just that often when we get triggered, you know, when we're in a situation and. I see someone that looks like my, whatever, ex-abusive husband or something like that, and I can get a, <gasps> I don't think that's a thought. It's a take on the stimuli, you know, I know, you know, your stimuli, your smell and all that. Suddenly you see something in your environment and <gasps> your body get a jolt and it travels via the vagus nerve right up in your brain and you're like immediately on defense. <gasps> and then you're, you know, your survival start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that can happen on a multitude of levels. If someone even says something about your work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, and that's, you know. You're I driving. Yeah. The direction you took. Yeah. Fuck, what? Yeah. And that's also the benefits, I'm going to say, about somatic awareness, that you don't have those reactive <gasps> jerks anymore because you're so body aware you might have a little if it's a surprise, of course, but it doesn't control you the way it used to. You're less reactive and more you get a little more distance between the trigger and you. And eventually the trigger is gone. It's resolved. I don't lay on the floor with a towel in my mouth anymore. You know, but I did when I was in talk therapy. And then people say, well, if you would have a couple of more years of talk therapy, you would still have gotten there. And I'm like, well. I don't know. So, you started this, noticed a shift, and what does your day-to-day now look like in regards to, um, uh, do you have daily patterns, habits, routines? I sit 20 minutes in the morning yeah. when I wake up, you know, I, I, and then I've, I've been listening to um, Sadhguru. He has a... Sadhguru. Yeah. He's the... Uh, is he Indian? Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So he has... Uh, I went to one of his trainings. Did you? Yeah. So he... Um, then you have access to some meditations and stuff. So yeah, I did a meditation. I do a meditation. And it's a 12, 13 minute meditation. And then I add my 20 minutes after that. Just look. Does he? He's he live. He's Amer- lives in America these days, doesn't he? I don't know where he lives. 
I know he drives an amazing Harley. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> I think he's been on like he's on he's like flavor of the month. He's all over YouTube. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I like the way he talks. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. It's easy when you're that famous or whatever because you don't have to go to work. You know, you don't. It's like the daily routines. I used to listen to Eckhart Tolle when my kids were three and four. And he talked about meditation and he talked about this. And I was, I couldn't, I just couldn't get the diapers on or I couldn't, you know, I was just so in your stress. And then he tells you to meditate. And if the neighbor's dog barks, just invite the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill the dog. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I do highly recommend to sit still. And if you call it meditation, or we in the coaching, we call it sitting. And if you just sit and you notice how crazy your brain is, and then notice how there, it's a possibility to not get involved in the thinking. And that's the same, your train of thought. It's funny. You're sitting on the train, and you know it's going to go over the cliff. Every time you sit on the train, it goes over the cliff. <laughs> so... Why don't you get off the train? The train of thought, right? Well, how do I do that? You literally drop in your body. Oh, now you suddenly feel your heartbeat. Or you feel that your stomach is a little uneasy. Whatever it is. And guess what? You're off the train. So if you can sit still there and just pay attention to your body. And notice how the brain is kind of fighting you to get back up there. And oh, what am I going to do today? And blah, blah. Can you believe he said that? Or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. And then you drop in your body. I'm not perfect at it. You know, I have my own moments. But the thing is, it sure helps. And then, like, you know, what's his name? Pineda. What's his name? Joe Dispenza. Yeah. You know, and when, when he talks about his meditation, he has a 30-minute meditation when he talks. Who do I want to be today? I, I, I've done some of Joe's meditations. Uh -huh. um, Virginia had subscribed to, and so we were listening to it in the morning and mm -hmm. in the night. Have you, have, you, have you done the one where he goes, behind your body? <laughs> have you heard? No. He's, there's this one, right, and he... Well, it's it's quite fascinating, but it's super trippy if you listen to it in headphones because <laughs> he is trying to make you aware that you are just an awareness mm -hmm. in space, uh -huh. and so he goes like concentrate on the the feeling in the room, and then he like he starts building it up, and then he's just like it gets so wacky and 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 trippy when he's going behind <laughs> uh, i love it because uh, did I'm, it work though yeah I mean, yeah it, it works uh -huh. it's oh, really great. good yeah but i just can i always say it to virginia and she's always laughs because it's just such a trippy moment where he's just like really intense oh it's been helpful i mean i definitely he he does i, I have only listened to his 30 minute morning meditation but it's one thing when he asks you know who do i want to be today you know and if i want to i mean so i work with habits, addictions, and things like that, behaviors. Who do I want to be today? You know, do, do I want to change anything that I do? Do I have a habit that someone called me out on that I might need to take a look at? 
you know. So it gives you a little space between your brain and you. And then you have a decision to make. You know how many times you hear people say, oh, I did that because I'm an alcoholic. No, you did that because you're an asshole. That's a choice, you know. The only, <laughs> the only thing you can get away with, oh, I'm an alcoholic, is because, okay, you're drinking. Or you're not drinking, either way, you know. But it's not an excuse for any kind of behaviors. But what do they say? It's, it's, it's not the drinking, it's the thinking. Oh, well, I think it's the feeling. Of drinking or not drinking? No, I think it's all the tension and the tweaking in the body that people can't handle. Oh, yeah. And like, fuck, um, early days sobriety, it's like the world mm -hmm. is sandpaper. Yeah. You know, like there are days where I just so sensitive uh -huh. to everything and anything. Just I couldn't handle. But then you're in your head. Re the reality. Mm -hmm. You know, like a long weekend, everyone's out and about. I just would lock myself in a room. Mm -hmm. Just couldn't be part of that energy, uh -huh. and I found it super agitating. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You're, you. I'm in my head. I'm not in my body. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would lock myself in my room though, because it was the safest place <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know. Uh huh. Um, I've, I, those those early days, that first year was a rough ride for me. I've definitely found it pretty tricky. Oh, it was well. It was horrid for me too. You know. And I, when I got, I got pregnant, and I was like, if this is how it's to be sober, I'm going to drink. Throwing up the first three months and stuff. I had no idea I was pregnant until I was almost three months. Oh, now I'm pregnant and sober. I had been drinking since I was 13. Now I'm 32 and sober. <laughs> you know, so clean and sober is not enough, you know. No, I think it's a start. It's absolutely a start. Yeah, the work yeah. that, you know, the, the, the self, you can, you know, like, I'm fuck, I'm lazy. You know, <laughs> I, everyone says, you say you're lazy, but you're not. You do a lot of things. But I think inherently in my, I, I, I do a lot of things, but it's hard to it's keep, as you say, it's the start and that work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just don't want to do anything, mm -hmm. you know, and I go through these bratty phases where I'm just like, Fuck it, I'm not doing anything. I don't want to be part of anything. I don't want to do it. I just want to live my life. And why don't you? I do. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's okay to feel like that once, you know. And I can have days. I love what I do. It's when my husband died, I lived in between sessions. That was like the only thing that made me feel like I had a purpose. I had two children. That's my purpose. You know, I had to have a reason to stay alive, you know. So... I love what I do when I'm in sessions with people. Yeah, yeah. Marketing, technology, all that stuff, I don't want to touch it because I'm, I'm not good at it. So when, when Bob died, I don't care if there is anybody that needs my help. I mean, I could be like so, I don't care. I don't care if people are healthy or not. I, don't, I cared about my two girls. Talk about being self-centered. My girls and my life and I really didn't care if I woke up or not. It was, so it's crazy, right? We all have those days. But the more you let them just flow through and not fight them, the shorter they become. You know, I, I don't know how many sessions I've had since Bob died, and it was just constantly. And this is one thing also. His passing, yes, 
it's a hard thing to work through. It's also a trigger for something old, 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 abandonment, whatever. Instead of going to talk therapy and try to analyze why it is so hard, it touched a trigger. My past has not been pretty. You know, I was given away when I was a year and a half to, you know, grandma and suddenly mom was gone. So I probably have some abandonment issues and all that kind of stuff. So people that you love die, you have a little abandonment issue. So this, but most of the events in our lives are triggers. So it's never really the situation that's the problem. The situation triggers sensations in our body. And that's our problem. But we don't want to feel them. So we get busy. If we don't drink or have sex or go shopping or whatever that is, we can sit and pick our nose or twirl the head or shake our leg or do anything just to stay busy and deflect. Someone in my life who's close to me always says, are you busy? (laughs) And I fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. Uh Like it's like, no, and I don't want to be. You know. So why do you defend yourself? Uh, why do you go into defense? Because it's like the the question is: Are you busy? Good. If you're busy, that's good. That means that's progress. That's um, that's uh, commerce. That's you're succeeding in life. If you're busy, you know. And I'm like, fuck that. You know, like my life is precious, <laughs> and I don't want to waste it being busy. So my question is: Yeah, why am I defensive about yes. that? It's the person fucking asking me the question. You know. And so, why are you defensive about that? Why can't you just look at him and say, "No, I'm not, and I love it." <laughs> That's a very good point. I suppose it's been a lifetime of, um, you know. So he's a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. And when we start realizing that when anybody does anything, and our chest get tight, they're a trigger. Hey, you're not triggered, Frankie. Sit down. <laughs> So it triggers the chest, you know. That's yeah. all. It's yeah. a trigger for something. <laughs> no, I just felt it. I just the whole energy just shifted when I brought that up. Did you notice? Yeah. Yeah. And is that your dad? You have to get your life together or whatever. No, I'm just saying. So what he does, the so next time you just look at him and say, "No, I love it." But and it has then, to come from a place of authenticity. Yeah. Not smart ass. Or- oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's where somatic works. That you can stay in your belly and you can stay in your solar plex and your chest and just be you and just say, yeah, I'm not. And I love it. And you will feel it, you know, mm-hmm. because it's a new response. Does that make any sense, though? Oh, 100% makes sense to me. Like, completely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, and, and so in this zone, like, uh, is it Gabor? Ma- Gabor Mate? Yeah. Uh-huh. And he talks about, um, like, past life trauma. Mm-hmm. Where do you sit on the fence with? So I don't know. I don't know about past lives. We we all have had experiences, I think, that we could call a past life. 
I've been in sessions where I've been burned on a stake like I was a witch in Salem witch hunt, which wouldn't surprise me. I probably have been a witch. I was one in this life. I probably was one, you know. So there are these things that happens to us. Are those past lives? I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't get into a discussion about that. I, there is a guy, it says, True of the Soul or something. There is um, a guy that has a podcast and he talks a lot to channelers and people that are, um, you know, in past life experiences and all this stuff. And they talk as if that's the truth. So I'm on the fence because I don't really know. Mm. I haven't woken up and spoken to someone that was dead. You know, I don't, but I do have some weird dreams once in a while. I'm thinking, wow, what about you? Yeah, no, uh, it's funny, isn't it? I love, I love this, this space. I, I mm-hmm. believe, I believe like there's a few things like the Vietnam war. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with it as a kid and like mm-hmm. this holds an energetic resonance. Mm-hmm. Some reason when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be part of it. I don't know why that's, mm-hmm. and that maybe that all boys want to be part of some war thing, but, um, I thought maybe I died in that war because it has mm-hmm. still has uh, some sort of when I look read about it and mm-hmm. and then I have the same weird feelings about the civil war mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. and for some reason I don't know really anything about that but I have these weird feelings that I can't explain uh, mm-hmm. that come up when I de- delve into literature or uh, see a movie or something that is it coming up now. Um, well, the, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I guess something's coming up, right? Um, and life is such a trip and when you think of the infinity of the universe mm-hmm. and the, all that we don't know we're here with scientists and we know so much mm-hmm. but fuck when you really expand out we mm-hmm. know nothing and then the fact that we're sitting here having a conversation and then this moment i i, I can trip on that and be like there's this is too weird there's something else <laughs> I think be. there is something else. There, that, yeah. like, but it also, what is it that your eye can only pick up 10% of your of the light, of the, you know, so there could be someone sitting right next to us in a different dimension. What, what do we know? You know, we don't know. Are we all living in Truman's world and there is another world? Who knows? I was throwing the ball for the dog in the park yesterday and uh, these two people walked through and, it's, you know, when suddenly you just see things quite clearly. And I went, I was sort of looking at them and I started thinking, yeah, there's just another couple of people in simulation. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another argument. You know, people say that we project everything. So we all live in simulation. So now your world and my world are not the same because what you're seeing and what I see is different. It's what we're projecting and we're still in the same room. You know, so people say that what I see, and we all have our own, you know, glasses. Some people have rose-colored glasses. I mean, it's just we are projecting our own life. The, yeah. You know, so we're projecting what's going to happen. And even Dispensa, you know, talks about how you manifest and breaking the habit of being yourself. You know, his book. No, I don't know that one. I'm going to write that one down. Breaking. Breaking the habit of being yourself. Oh, he has so many books. I like the sound of that one. Because, yeah, we are, our experiences live through a lens, really. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I totally can get on board with that energetically. Um, you know, biases, biases and fears and mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, if we don't heal from our past, our past will always control our future. We will always just live in an endless loop. 
You know, if we don't heal from the trauma, from our behaviors, if you live on this blueprint that's basically made what the first five, six years of your life, we have this blueprint about how our behaviors based on whatever, whatever happened. If we can't like heal that, and then if all the abuse and everything that happens to us during drinking or during, you know, it's just a long history of abuse for many people. And then you're going to have a normal life. You're going to raise a couple of kids. Well, you you're might gonna... have an externally abusive landscape, but you also might have an internally abusive yeah. landscape of how you talk to yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the biggest enemy is ourself. You know, we do abuse ourselves with abusive self-talk, but we learned it somewhere. It's like they say, you know, when your parents, you know, they keep on whipping you and then they die and then you pick up the whip and do their job. Because we're so used to, I hear my mom in my head all the time and I can now, I can laugh at it. There was a time when she could uh, sigh on the phone and would get me started. Shame is deep. Yeah, one <laughs> nuance sets it right oh, off. Just a little sigh of disappointment <laughs> and I could... <laughs> and often, you know, with clients, I have clients who have 20, 30, 40 years of sobriety. 20 years of therapy. And they never touch that point that they might touch in a session or two. Because it's a different way. Dr. Levine says, said in one of the trainings, a really good somatic session can cover a year in talk therapy. Because we don't involve the brain in trying to understand or analyze or remember, and it never go into the trauma, what happened and relive it and all that, what they do to the soldiers, or you re-expose someone to snakes and all that. It's crazy. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. it's just, you don't do that. And you you had a session. I mean, you just go to the body and then let the body tell the story. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. Um, also, since, uh, I think since around the time that I spoke to you, it was just before Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. I started, uh, I stopped training in a couple of places that I was training at, and I've gone to a, a more of a rehabilitation style um, training thing mm -hmm. called Kisa. You know about Kisa? No. Anyway, it's very, they, 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 they measure you where you're imbalanced mm. uh, in the body. Like my right hamstring is 30% weaker than my left. Mm. And um, like from, and I also have bulge. So they work at balancing you back out. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, be strong but weak at the same time. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so around that time, then I did that with you, and I've been sitting, as you said, requested for 10 minutes, and, I, and it's much easier for me to sit if I don't have to do a job. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I have to sit down and meditate and I've got to concentrate on the breath mm -hmm. and it's work. But if I do, no, you don't, uh, that's how lazy I am. <laughs> It is. It's like to sit there and concentrate on my breath. I, I will fight that. I don't want to fucking do it. But if I, I've been, I've been noticing that to sit down and just go into my body and observe what's happening, mm -hmm. and just stay in there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's. Well, I want to use the word easier, mm -hmm. um, but it feels easier. It, it is easier. Yeah, and I've been feeling since doing what you told me. 
and thinking about what you told me and then also doing that i i'm feeling more in my just myself in my body i've put mm-hmm. together you're more here yes that's a better way of putting it yeah <laughs> and it's almost like that you know the hourglass you just slowly come back into your body you know your consciousness is is here and then of course we can go out to you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about what the difference between awareness and consciousness and all this. And we just belong to the consciousness and then we have an awareness of our body. Or are we, you know, all those kind of discussions. I don't get into that. I just try to just disconnect the brain and drop in and notice what's happening in there. And when you do that, your attention starts sinking. You know, and then you can expand out so you're almost part of the universe. Now suddenly you don't even have a body anymore. You just kind of hear. And then be there. It's almost pleasuresome. Wow. Is that meditation? I don't know what it is, but it works. You know, I don't, because the moment, there is another man on YouTube, um, Ajashanti. And Ajashanti talks about, you know, because people say meditation and we we let go control, you know, we let go all that, but we have to sit in a certain posture, we have to do this and have to do that. And he says, that's still control. You sit comfortably somewhere, you don't have to put your fingers and, you know, or close your, what do you call it? Close your legs is not what you call it. <laughs> 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 Cross your legs. Yeah, <laughs> so, and you just, you don't have to do anything, he says, because to be totally not controlling anything is to just sit comfortably, stay awake, and pay attention to your body. Not to control your structure or, you know, and just sit there. Do you ever have, I have moments where I'm driving. And all of a sudden, everything is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. I'm completely aware behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, it's a moment of pure in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there's no thought, pre-thought, forethought, mm-hmm. not where am I going, I'm not worried about anything it's just i i have these moments every now and again and i'm like oh my god this is it this is what they talk about this mm-hmm. this very moment right now is all there is and why can't i be like this more because we're trying too hard right when you're not driving you're not thinking about being in the moment then right and suddenly the moment is there but it happens so infrequently but when it does happen i'm acutely aware of it so if you sit here right now and not trying to get into the moment, but you're more just paying attention to where you're at. You know, you can just kind of look around, but as you're doing that, you just drop in. Now you know what that means. You feel the butt in the chair, you feel your feet on the ground, you know, and you just slowly come back. You don't go forwards, you don't go backwards, you just stay right here. And are you noticing that you're getting closer and closer to you? You notice, you can even do it with your eyes open. You feel your throat, you feel your chest, feel your stomach, and you sit in your pelvis like you sit in a horse saddle. You just plant yourself in your pelvis and then just follow your body. So right now, 
Would you say that you're a little bit closer to here than you were two minutes ago? Well, yeah. But uh, also, I'm acutely aware that we're having this strange experience of a podcast. (laughs) 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 And usually when I'm sitting in this chair, I'm trying my best to be with you. But then also make sure that I know that, like, if we come to the closing point of a part of a conversation, where to drive it to next. So, if you're acutely aware of that, yeah. and you want to pay attention to me, yes. wouldn't you pay better attention to me if you were really here? Well, that's the, the trick, <laughs> is paying attention to you yeah. and getting off myself. No, but if you're really here, what we just did. Yeah. Oh, I say yes. And you're really here. Then you have real authentic attention on me. Otherwise, you're in your mind trying to really focus and do what you're supposed to do, right? I'm really trying really hard right now. (laughs) And then you can make a decision to, oh, drop back in. Sit in the saddle. And, oh, you're here, right? Mm. You see the difference? Yeah, no, I, I definitely do, yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> hope you're all having a good time out there. <laughs> this is really simple and i think it's something we're born with we're kind of just beaten out of it yeah completely yeah when i i think about you know um the the indigenous people who were living here before we came along yeah oh and i feel like they were probably somewhat closer. Oh. But m- not somewhat, but I mean, they were so much more evolved, mm-hmm. I believe. Absolutely. In, and everyone goes, they lived in, no, they didn't have anything, they're not evolved, but they were evolved because they lived in harmony with nature yeah. and themselves. Yeah. And I just am like, they had it so fucking right. Absolutely. I mean, I would love to just meet. I, I have a, a woman that I trained with just a couple of times that I would love to do more training with, Kathy Kane. She lived here in Australia somewhere, I don't know, for 12 years. And she went to the indigenous people to learn. Um, and they use something like echo, you know. And she wanted to learn, you know, about how to read the body and how to just... She wanted to learn much more than that. But what she taught us and said that she learned was from the indigenous people to really read the body and, you know, be present. And that is something I would love to just meet someone that can, that truly knows nature. You know, we don't. Mm-mm. We have no idea, you Mm-mm. know. <laughs> they know what's poisonous or not. They know what to eat and not. I mean, they know nature. Mm-hmm. We're like limping around, you know. <laughs> what? I right, look. I, I love this. And then, so like, what is your take on the social media? I think it is a, or even a, the phone. I think it's a numbing effect. It, it, it's it's dumbing down, dumbing us down. It's an absolute numbing effect. I mean, you see eight kids sitting at Starbucks scrolling on their phone. There's no communication anymore. You know, instead of going out in nature or building houses or climbing trees, you know, they scroll on the phone or play video games. I mean, we lived, and I guess, you know, I'm 65, I guess you're, what did you say, in your 40s somewhere? 47. Yeah. So where I grew up, 
I mean, you had to make something or do something or, you know, you climb trees. It's a three-dimensional world. These kids basically live in a two-dimensional world. You know, they, how do they know even what three dimensions are unless they reach in the refrigerator and get some milk? You know, there is, there is a gap there. But if you think about it, even the architects now learn how to draw houses on a computer instead of build, actually building a house, even if it's just with sticks, you know. Yeah, all well, my friends, that when they were at university, I remember they all had their matchstick houses that were all making as their... Mm-hmm. I don't think they'd probably do that anymore. No, my daughter is in construction, and, and the architects that she worked with, the school she was in, they actually had to build, you know, they had to do things there. But there was another school that also had educated architects, and they just built everything on a computer. They never got to see the depths or, you know, imagine anything. I think it's dangerous. We're dumbing, definitely dumbing down the population. I would have these fantasies where I smash my mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I've done it before, but um, <laughs> not sober. And uh, But no, more on the point of like, I actually in the other room, I have, you have two. Mm-hmm. I have a dumb phone that's just talking text. Mm-hmm. And I try and put my SIM card into it as much as possible mm-hmm. and not, and leave my iPhone at home unless I'm working. And it, it's it, I notice a difference, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I really have trouble sticking with it. Mm-hmm. I notice that every now and again I'll sneak the SIM card out and I'll go back in the iPhone. And well, I'll... you can always have a session on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have two phones because mine, if I use regular phone calls, it's so expensive because it's an American phone. So my lovely host, Inger, who I and actually Inger and I are offering with Coaching for Families, we actually offer coaching for families with children with special needs, children on the spectrum, ADHD. In- Inger McKenzie is a teacher. And have been taught for 10 years. She's fabulous. And she also has very similar education that I do with somatic awareness and so on. So just because I thought of her now. No, no, this is great. So um, I will put a link. Oh, okay. To your website. Yeah. Is that how best people yeah, you can put a link. Yeah, definitely to mine. We're opening up, or we have opened up. Where web we have a website. It's called Coaching for Families. That's just with Inger and I offering services to family for family dynamics. Yeah, you know because so many parents say, "Oh, fix my kid." You know, my kid has, let's say, ADHD. Yeah, fix him. And it's like, okay, so we're going to spend an hour with him and teach him something, and then he's going to go back home to the household with two crazy parents. <laughs> You know, because they're tense, dad is working, mom is freaked out, feeling guilty is probably my fault. I mean, you know, I've been one of those moms. I have a daughter with special needs. So, you know, the Swedish shame is good right there. But so that whole thing to to help the parents become willing to also do somatic sessions so that their stress level goes down and then the ADHD kid can have a safer, calmer home to go home to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Like because completely. otherwise it's crazy to, to, you know, it's so many parents that have, yeah, my, my son is XYZ and uh, he needs help. Oh, he 
he grew up in your household, right? And you're totally stressed out, just smoking pot. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and it's just like the denial is so deep. And I said, would you mind having a session and just see what I do? Oh, no, 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 I don't need it. But he does. It's amazing, see. So I just wanted to mention that, of course, my, you know, my website is great. I would love to. Well, put a link to both. Uh-huh. Oh, that would be fabulous. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that sounds amazing. I think there's so many people that I know, and I'm not saying that anyone listening or I'm not poking this at anybody, but I know households in the current climate mm-hmm. of inflation and yeah. work stresses and, yeah. you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people under a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. The kids are struggling at uh, school, yeah. you know, all sorts. Of, and it fits the whole thing it's a really nice thing that you're offering well the thing is and i mean we we do workshops but we were were, so here it is we were going to try to do workshops here in person because it's better when you get a connection even like this you know you say we do podcasts like this instead of on you know zoom yes the same effect when you work with parents right here and then you can kind of help them you know get through and said oh that might be a trigger, you know, what can we do with that? So our whole challenge is that we don't know how to get the people together because we know that there is plenty of families and we don't want to do more than 20 or 30 at the most to really have a nice workshop for a day so that people get to learn what you have learned now. Sometimes that is enough. You know, mom and dad hasn't had a date for 10 years because of stress or whatever. It's, you know, it's so many little small details that can help the dynamic of a family. It doesn't have to be a major, you know, thing. So that's the thing we were looking for a location and said, how are we going to, should we put out flyers? I mean, what do we do? To find a location or to? We haven't, yeah, well, a location, but also get, so people get to know. That, that we're here. I'm going to be here till the end of March. Mm. Inger lives here. Then I'm going to come back, I think, somewhere, if she lets me. <laughs> She's <laughs> a wonderful host that's staying in her house, her and her husband. And he puts up with me. I mean, you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So they've been f- fantastic. So we're going to try to get this going and then start so that other people can learn what we do. Well, if I can help in any way. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be great. And I'll definitely be putting links and things in the description to this, but in any other capacity, because I know, well, I'm sure Inga does too, but there's lots of spaces around town. Um, Yes, anyway, the mind churns away. Yeah. Um, So how did you get to know Inga? So Inga has a stepson who uh, had who has Asperger's and he was working with a woman fabulous woman Holly Holly Bridges up in Perth and uh, Inger had some stress regarding her family and Holly said why don't you call Ava and so I'm in California so Holly and I met through another you know common friend so Inger called me and asked for a session and we worked together and then she wanted to learn what I was doing because she wants to help people. She knows a lot of people that would need the help. Mm-hmm. So then we just decided when my husband died, I said, why don't you come over and visit here for a while? And okay. 
so then we were going to start a business. We started when I was in California, but then, you know, now we have a better opportunity to work together closely and then try to to get it out there. Because we heard, I think, one woman that I, I went to a group somewhere who said there is a six-month wait to get a therapist. Yeah, it is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, so I had a friend who was des- in desperate need for some help mm-hmm. and going through the public system and I just was flabbergasted uh-huh. how that, little help he could find. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy, see. And by then you, you kill yourself. I totally, I mean, no, you know, I yeah. know. Like, and the poor guy didn't have any money, you know, no. so he was going through the public system and mm-hmm. just getting, it was, I just couldn't believe, mm-hmm. you know, there's such a, a need, thirst for it. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we're thinking there is a need and we know there is a need. It's just how can we say hello? It's like they say your website, you know, it's like a little raft in the ocean. <laughs> you know, you have to get oh, people and the, there. The world is so noisy. It's yeah. filled with noise. Yeah. It's like, you know, like and everyone's attention band is so saturated and small. Uh-huh. Yeah. I have noticed that, like, you know, I love visual arts. I love it. But if I look at Instagram, I see the most beautiful thing or something that's really clever, and I just am like, fucking next, <laughs> next. You know, there's no appreciation because uh-huh. of the saturation. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and that's what we have. So when people come to people like me, they have tried a lot of different things because who wants to really do somatic awareness? I mean, some people don't even know what it is. So that's why I live. Look, uh, yeah, I don't. And this is why we're. (laughs) So, I mean, that's why we live on referral. No, but I don't think I have ever gotten a client from Facebook. You know, I haven't gotten. I think someone found me on Google because they looked up somatic. Otherwise, I I get clients from referrals. Because, well, I tried this and it worked for me. So maybe call her. But the thing is, if we could reach groups, then we could train groups so that they could help each other. You see what I mean? It mm. could be such a wonderful, you know, just helping people to help each other and help more. Because moms, I mean, just moms with people with special needs, or mom with, like the kid has autism or some spectrum thing. What, like, There's more, more kids on this spectrum. What is that, do you think? Well, I think what they include on the spectrum now is autism, ADHD, ADD, I don't, know, is it dis- I don't know if dyslexia is included there. There are some, yeah, there's bi- kind of a yeah, spectrum <laughs> on. And I like the, um, it's neurodiversity. And there's this group that I saw came up where they call them neurospicy. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of neurodiverse, they're just neurospicy. <laughs> <laughs> they own the, you yeah, know, diversity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Those are great girls, yeah. It's- Proud of my autism. You know, we need all. Yeah, well, Virginia thinks I'm on the spectrum. Could be. You know, but so this is another thing. Am I on the spectrum or do I have some serious PTS? Because it's all diagnosed by your behavior. How can anybody honestly diagnose you or me or anybody else? 
If you got beaten up since you were a little kid, you got drunk, you've been out, whatever, you flew off a car two, three times, and maybe you fell out of a window, whatever has happened, you have all this physical, everything that's happened. Maybe you have some brain injury. Maybe you pickled your brain for what, 10, 15, 20 years? You pickled your brain in alcohol, so that's kind of a chemical imbalance, right? So all this stuff that we've been through, do we have, are we on the spectrum? Or are we just severely injured? Well, the, it could, you know, and, the, and the way I notice it is if I'm writing something, say I'm writing school, sometimes I write the H first mm-hmm. and they go, oh, S-C, double O, and I, like I'll be writing and then I'll write, you know, yourself and I'll put the U and then mm-hmm. Y-O, you know, it's like everything, that could be brain injury. <laughs> oh, and then you got dyslexia and then you have, but my point is nobody, it doesn't matter. nobody I, I enjoy, really knows. Yeah, and I feel like that these you got to look at your strengths. Yeah, and I worked at the recovery center in uh, California. So I had access to the, whatever, the files. It was young boys between 13 and 18, and I was going to come in to train somatics. And I tell you, some of them, so here is a boy, 15 years old, with four diagnoses, and he's on three medications. And he's 15, and he's there because he smokes pot. If you were on three medication and you had four crazy diagnoses, wouldn't you smoke pot too? I mean, it is insane, the labels. So I had to stop looking at the files, and I told the people, I'm not, I don't want to have access to that, because when I meet someone, I want to see all of you. I don't want to see you through a filter of diagnosis, mm. you know, because then I don't see you. I just see what I read, and then I kind of pair you with what I read, and then I get this... It's the rap shade. Yeah, and that's not, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I totally know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it was crazy how... And, and there is a book out there that's called The, the Anatomy of... Oh, have to do with medication, and, it, and that book was written 10 years ago. And he said, for the last 10 years, 280,000 young adults are in institutions on medication, more than usual. And uh, there are stories in that book about parents that put their kids on medication when they were five, six years old, and how they just, uh, by the time they're 30, they're wet-brained, and they're institutionalized. You know, so this whole thing that I don't even want to talk about medication because it's not my field. Like, I don't have any experience with medication. So when people ask me or if they say, I'm on medication and this, and said, well, you know, that's not my, you know, what do you call it? Practice where I practice. It's, and this is another thing with when they call it PTSD. So I don't say the D. Say PTS. Well, why do you do that? Well, because it's actually PTSI. Dr. Levine said that once. You're going to tell a soldier that just got blown, you know, had his legs blown off, that he has a disorder? He has an injury. And the magic with that is if you have a disorder, post traumatic injury, post traumatic stress. Injury. If you say post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. a disorder is like a life sentence and it can only be medicated. Oh, 
you need medication, right? If you have a post-traumatic stress injury, injuries can be healed. Mm -hmm. It's a total different mindset. And in my world, a little more hope. A little more, oh, I have an injury. Oh, it's a brain injury. Oh, you're doomed. You know, they can they can make you sick just by making you believe. You know, well, words. You know, how yeah. you talk to yourself is so yeah. like. You know, well, I was telling you, I did, had I'd done some of that trauma therapy stuff, and there was some mantra stuff, and uh, you had to say, "I choose to know." Mm-hmm. And saying I choose to know rather than I know or something, mm-hmm. but there's the power in that mm-hmm. word structure that mm-hmm. I choose. Absolutely. You know, I had a girl. She was 22 years old. I don't know three, four labels and whatever medication. And I asked her just for now, just for this 60 minutes, can you imagine? Can you just sit here with me, as if there was nothing wrong with you? And she just started crying. Because if you have three, four diagnoses and you're on three medications, you're on defense mode. You're surviving. Anybody looking at you wrong, you're like, huh, you know, because you know that you're wrong. You know? Mm. It's amazing. I think they really mess us up with that. I have five diagnoses, five labels. I think I'm pretty okay. But I didn't start becoming okay until I got somatic awareness. Well, I think, you know, like, fuck. There's all, it's, it's, uh, it's commerce within the, in the uh, sickness industry. And mm-hmm. so the more labels that people have, it's like a specialty. Mm-hmm. And then you can make money from dealing yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a little bit conspiratory minded, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you look out the fucking window mm-hmm. and it seems fine. But you look in the news mm-hmm. and it's there's not much good going on. No, but yet there is a lot of good going on. Absolutely. But in the same breath, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. as you say, mm, there's not help there. Daniel, Doctor Daniel Siegel, he has this great the neurobiology of we. And he says, he's, by the time he, he made this tape, he had spoken in front of 75,000 people. And he said, in the beginning of my speeches, I asked, and they're all caretakers, they're all medical doctors and nurses and things. And he says, how many of you have studied what's good with the brain for over one hour in your whole study? He says, three to five percent raised their hands. The rest of the people study what's wrong with the brain. And they will find something. You look at me long enough, you'll find something that's wrong with me if that is your microscope. You know? He has a great the neurobiology of we. because And that's the whole thing. You know, what, what glasses do you put on in the morning? Mm. Yeah, Totally. And I mean, I'm guilty as anyone of like waking up, making coffee and checking the BBC most read, you know, it's not the best, you know, I get stuck. Like when the whole, when Russia invaded Ukraine, when Israel, mm-hmm. uh, I, get, I get stuck looking at that. Mm-hmm. I, I believe I'm like the injustice, the, the people, the sadness, the... I need to know it all. I need this. Is this the start of World War Three? You know, I obsess on it. 
So and let's say it is sort of World War Three. Well, then I get saturated do? with it, but yeah, then I stop. But sorry, let's say it is. Well, I, it still could be. Who knows? You mm-hmm. know, like it's not done yet. No. <laughs> so you say I get stuck. Well, I, 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 I seem to want to know all the all the angles. So you choose to. I continue. choose to. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's but, where the power is. You choose to continue being stuck or you choose to turn it off. That's right. That is right. <laughs> that is right. And I am more healthy when I'm, I'm not. But, like, you know, like, global politics and, mm-hmm. and global affairs is quite interesting. I find it quite, mm-hmm. you know, on, all, on lots of different things. But it, it doesn't, how does it affect my life? I, I don't know. Maybe the price of fuel. That's mm-hmm. about it. Is there food in the supermarket? Yeah. It's difficult. I brought something up about the global economy to my friend. And she's like, you know, I know about it and I'm not going to worry about it if I can't do anything about it. Because I got things to do and people take care of it. And it is true. You know, how much can I focus? Because if I want to get into it, anybody that can change what's going on are spending 80 to 100 hours a week trying to do something about it than writing papers and, you know, and no, I don't think I have any power of that. Not that I don't care, but how much time do I want to spend on it? Well, seemingly even people that do have power mm-hmm. are not having any yeah. Yeah. sway on it. So Absolutely. You know. So what sway are we going to have? No, 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 no. We can go to the beach. Yeah. And I'll tell you <laughs> at the beach about what I read. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's easy to get stuck there. I get too. Well, I worry, you know, mm-hmm. about the future of of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my God, those dogs. I think some people have moved in and over the back and they've got puppies or something. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, it's all new. That that Lots of little yippies. Um, but, yeah, no, I do, I do, from time to time, I get concerned. Like, are we, are we at that extinction, fall off the point kind of part of, civilization and well david attenborough says we are we have did you see that documentary when he went natural world Uh unnatural world and that number just changed Uh it says that 65 percent of all the animals and plants and everything in the globe is now extinct 65 percent of plants and animals will not come back In his lifetime. In our lifetime. They're extinct. How many gorillas are left? They're not extinct, but there are X amount. And, you know, what is it? This white rhinos, rhinoceros or something. Uh, ten of them left. It's just... So, so you take that statistic and then you go, I watched a YouTube yesterday and there was a guy who was doing a digital detox. He detoxed off his phone. Mm-hmm. He was going more than me more than putting it into a dumb phone he was um completely not using a phone and he so he took it one step too far he's going to do a month off at this kid he he was in the generation who had never had not had a phone mm-hmm. he only lasted two weeks um where am i going with that <laughs> he said in 10 years you won't be able to do this experiment mm-hmm. we are in a cusp part mm-hmm. But, like, he believed in 10 years there there won't be any um, – you will have to have your phone for every everything. There won't be paper money. There won't mm-hmm. be 
this and that and just that alone with what you just told me I, like is there going to be a revolution you know like i don't this is where i go in but my we mind. don't know yeah i don't know we don't know if they're gonna you know create what is drones and enough many ai robots that just going to come and blow us off and you got the high elite sitting on top see how many of the masses we need to do the job so we can get some fruit <laughs> what do we know we can so that's the thing we can go anywhere with this we can talk about it until both of us need medication <laughs> you know so I mean? true <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no you know? i know I and know. that's a choice yeah they completely well, frankie found that all very hey down <laughs> frankie anyway <laughs> eva on that on that i want to say thank you so much for coming <laughs> and having a chat to me well thank you so much for having me here i really appreciate your time it's been great no no so. awesome and i i'm if this has resonated with uh, whoever, uh, all the information will be in the blurb on on on, on the Instagram or the Facebook or the uh, or the uh, even where you read it in the wherever you're listening to it. So, thank you, <laughs> thank you. No, I really mean it. Thank you for just taking your time with me. It's been great. It's been so fun. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than. Eva Angvert. I reckon I got it that time. I reckon I said that was nearly correct. Eva Angvert. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our chat. I really do. Um, I'll let you just go back to your life. And until next time, I hope you learned something in there. You know, like that was quite an interesting conversation I, I've, you know, I've found for myself. It's just like, I really want to go back into my body and just like connect on that level, that visceral level and out of my head and into my body, if that makes any sense. There's a, you sort of slow down when you process that bit, if you really get there. Anyway, whatever. Hope you're well out there in the world. <laughs> Until next time, see you later.